Welcome to another episode of Get Forward. Sorry we've been gone for a while. Both Jonathan and I have been uh, pretty busy the last few months, had a lot going on, but we couldn't pass up an opportunity to do an episode on the gayest of all holidays, Halloween. So on this episode, I'm brushing up on my gay horror film history, specifically the film Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, uh, which I had no idea what to expect other than this article Jonathan sent me from Attitude Magazine, why A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is the gayest slasher film of all time. I have to admit, it's really, really gay. Not at all scary, but super campy, super fun, well worth a watch. Uh, so we had a lot of fun talking about it. I hope you have a lot of fun listening to us talking about it. So please come ride the rainbow with us as Jonathan and I talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and gay horror. Yeah, and then I sat down and watched this last night. I'm like, my God, it's so gay. <laughs> it's so ridiculously gay. Like, had you seen this before? Yeah. Okay. No, okay, now, when did you see this for the first time? Like, were you... I saw it for the first time, I want to say, in high school. Okay. Because I, if I remember right... Back in the day, uh, I, I used to a little closer. I used to ride my bike to the library. I fucking loved the library. The library is um, amazing. Our, we had one of the biggest libraries in the state mm-hmm. in in our city. Um, was bigger than the Chicago Library. They had this giant like VHS and DVD collection. Okay, and you could rent three DVDs and like seven VHSs. It what? was ridiculous. That's insane. So I would basically go and stuff my backpack fill with like as many movies as I could carry on my backpack and ride back home with. Yeah. And um, I remember I th- there was a year where I just, I had thought to myself, I'm like, I've never seen, I'd never seen beyond the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. That there were so many sequels. Yeah. So it was like. And this was probably around the time Freddy vs. Jason came out because I was like really curious. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so I went and rented basically as many as I could find there, which I've only seen up to four. Okay. Four plus um, New Nightmare. Okay, I don't even know how many there are. I think there's seven. That's, I'm sure. It's um, some, some sort of a crazy number. Less than Friday the 13th. I know that for sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, and it was in that batch and I remember watching it. And I didn't really understand the subtext as much as I just, you know, kind of got the homoeroticism between him and his best friend. Yeah. Um, which I, because, like, I thought his best friend was hot. So was oh, like, he is. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's 80s hot, which yeah. means that he's, like, got a great body and he's very tan, but that haircut. Yeah. Oh, God, that haircut's so bad. God, great bodies, bad hair in the 80s. That's all the 80s was. <laughs> yeah. And, ba- like, bad hair, bad clothes. Everyone was jazzercising, so everyone was in great shape. Great fucking shape. But, but they like, all wore too baggy clothes to even notice. Yeah. Or not enough clothes, depended. Yeah, that's exactly it. Just, like, the clothes never fit the body type. Yeah. At all. And just Never. The, the, oh, God, the hair. Is there a <laughs> single good haircut in this movie? I mean, his lady friend has a nice like. That's true, actually. Like, er, she has like a nice early Meryl Streep vibe going. Oh, on. she definitely does. Yeah, <laughs> she's like like poor man's Meryl Streep. Yeah, like I mean, her hair is fine. All the like, I feel like all most of the the like, his mom and his sister, and then like his like sort of girlfriend have decent hair. Decent hair, yeah. Anyone who's not have a perm. But then you They're notice at good. that party, everyone has like a shitty haircut at the towards the end. Yeah, well, because teenagers always have the worst style yeah. of their generation. Because they're know, like, oh, let's work just like cool and weird and different. Whatever's trendy, like, and none of it holds up at all. You know, I dyed my hair blonde when I was in high school. I still don't regret it. Really? Still don't. <laughs> I mean, look, I get it. I, I never dyed my hair, but I had really bad haircuts. In high school, yeah, you were you were wearing that duck butt. Yeah, I went from ha- <laughs> I went from having a bowl cut to a duck butt. Neither is very flattering. I I never fault anyone for the bowl cut because that's a mom decision. That is a mom decision. Like yeah. I I will never ever be like I wanted that haircut because that was in a time when I was not knowledgeable enough to make my own decisions no. with my hair. <laughs> no, like for me. 
the thing that feels the most 90s is like at my grandparents' house because my grandparents always have too old of photos, right? Mm -hmm. It's like my grandparents don't have any photos of me now after I've like gone through my glow up phase and I'm like, oh, I'm like actually like pretty handsome and I'm like in decent shape and I dress well. <laughs> they don't have any photos of me now. They have photos of me when I'm like 14, pudgy with a bowl cut. And they're all the ones that are like eight by 10 in giant frames. Yeah, huge photos, huge frames, prominent display in the living room. Or they have like those, or they have photos. My brother and I were really little. My mom would take us to Vasona Park, put us in identical, horrible maroon sweaters. We had matching bowl cuts. Like, we're going to do the fall photos. Like, you guys like sitting on a tree. You're like amongst this pile of leaves. And it's just, it's the most horrifically waspy 90s thing <laughs> that exists. And it drives me insane. I, I, I want to go through the house and just swap out all the photos with me now. And they're still there. But like, it, cause it, I think maybe the reason part of this movie, I don't know if I would say it holds up, but it kind of works now because it's just so of the time. Yeah. I think because we're experiencing that resurgence. Yeah. And I, the one thing I noticed too, this, this time around is, uh, and I, I guess maybe it's because in later ones, he's so much more prominent that like really early on, Freddy does not make big appearances that often. Like he's a lot more like behind the scenes, like the creepy stuff goes on. Yeah. Like the thing in the shower and the stuff like that. And so you get like the ominous stuff, but he himself like did not appear as much as I thought I remembered him yeah, showing up. He's he's barely in this. Okay, so full disclosure, I had never seen this movie until I watched it for the podcast, obviously. Had, had I've never seen any Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Question. So because as I'm watching this, I'm like, this doesn't work as a horror film. Like at no point ever watching this entire movie was I scared. Yeah. But also I didn't understand what was happening. Like I vaguely know the whole like uh, his whole thing is that he entered people's dreams and well, he makes dreams come reality. And right? that's, a, that's the other thing is this one is is a little bit different from like what his sort of mo is. Okay. Because this he's this one is going much more like down a possession route, and most of the like in the original and a lot of the ones thereafter, it's very heavy on the like we can't go to sleep, he's gonna get us. But this one leans so much more into like possession, which is yeah. doesn't happen that often. Okay, because I was wondering what the deal was because as I'm watching this, I have no idea what his motivation is. I have no idea what the logic is behind any of this. Like what his powers yeah, it's are. It's called Freddy's Revenge and even watching it for like the like, second time, I'm like, what is he revenging? Who's he revenging? <laughs> Who's he getting revenge on? I don't, I don't understand. Like what is he trying to accomplish in this? Does he just want to kill children? Yeah. Like, I, you know, I get that he, I guess he just wants to like come out of the dream space and live, be in a human body again. So the only way he can do that, like, so he guess he needs a body to do that? I guess did he, so. Did he, did he have an actual like corporeal body in the last one? In the first one? No. He was he was just like the dream monster. Okay. In the first one. So then he would but he would kill people in their dreams. Yes. So in this one, he possesses someone so he can kill people in reality. Reality. Yeah. So if you in the first one, when they die in the dream, are they just dead? Or like do their does their body reflect how they died in the dream? Um Yeah, it, it usually does. Okay, so like yeah. if they get their head chopped off, all of a sudden then like their body is going to be headless. Yep. Okay. I guess that kind of makes sense. Because like, cause this frankly just isn't a horror movie. No. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I really, I was just so, I was so baffled. I'm like, it's not a horror film. Like, I guess there were moments that I thought like were kind of clever-ish. Like yeah. the opening sequence, they're on the bus. It's so bizarre all of a sudden it's like teetering on some rocks, but it, I guess it follows kind of a dream logic of sorts. Yeah. And I like the idea that they can't run away from him because then the bus will tip over, so they have to get closer to him and get in the death range. Like, oh, that's a clever way to like force someone to walk into their own death. Yeah. And I think that was the last time I went, oh, this makes sense. It's a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, right at the beginning. <laughs> the old, only the beginning, because the rest of it is people doing dumb shit per typical horror film logic. But at least in that, in this movie, it makes sense because they are in a dream. Like, because I think even when he sees Freddy down the boiler, that's a dream, right? Or yeah. That happened in reality. Yeah. So he sees him. He sees him. Mo like the interaction between the two of them mostly happens in the dream. Okay. Between yeah. Between the main character and Freddy. Okay. Because then that makes sense. Like, because if you were if you were actually awake and you saw a weird figure outside your house, you wouldn't go outside. Yeah. If you then saw a strange man in a red and black sweater playing with the furnace, you wouldn't go like, huh. 
I should see, <laughs> what's he doing down there? I should go ask. Dad, did you call a handyman? Yeah. At Who's three o'clock in the morning? Like, at least that made sense then. Okay, because it's in a dream. So, like, the dream logic kind of holds up in that regards. But otherwise, I'm like, this this doesn't work at all as a horror film. No, it does not. Do they, do, they, <laughs> do they then go back to being horror films after this? Somewhat, yeah. They go back to more of the normal, like, a lot of people's favorites are um, three or four. Okay. Um, I think four is Dream Master, three, three is Dream Warriors. And, like, three takes place, I think, at, like, a... Um, a mental hospital and it's a okay. bunch of kids who are stuck at a mental hospital or an orphanage. I can't remember which one. And a mental hospital they're orphanage. All, they're all trying to fight Freddy together because he's okay. like terrorizing them. Okay. So like dreams. that to me makes sense. Yeah. Cause I don't know what the fuck this was supposed to be. <laughs> like as I'm watching, it doesn't work as a horror film. And then, so having never seen it before, I went into it, the mindset of like, okay, what can I find about this? This is gay. Cause you had sent me, I, I printed it out like a proper nerd here this article from attitude that says why a nightmare on Elm street two is the gayest slasher film of all time. So Buzzfeed I, has an article too. I saw, yeah, I saw the Buzzfeed <laughs> article, the same thing. So like I read the article first. So I knew what kind of to be looking for. So I went in specifically looking for gay shit and oh my God, that I have a lot to find. <laughs> but I, I was then trying to figure out what is the point of this? If it's not meant to be a horror film, what is it supposed to be about? I mean, I mean, it's funny cause you could almost say it's both incredibly, homoerotic and also incredibly homophobic yeah because i would absolutely like agree with that freddie like representing the like the monster inside you being gay and he yeah. always screams about like you know it, i can't get it out of me and stuff like that and oh I, I wrote down lots of lines of dialogue <laughs> that fit into that because because i'd also read something that i guess was this because I think some people treat it as a bit of an allegory for the AIDS crisis to some degree, right? A little bit because it was right yeah, it's in a, the middle yeah, of Yeah, because this came out in 85, and so the AIDS epidemic started in 81. Like I, I had to like brush up my AIDS history this morning because yeah. as me being the worst gay, I don't know enough about that. Mm. We, should do, we should do an episode on all that. We should probably do an episode <laughs> on that at some point. I, I vaguely remember watching... It would probably be good for both of us to be brushed We probably up should. We should probably like, brush up on that history. Like I remember watching in sex ed class a movie about the AIDS crisis starring Ian McKellen but I don't remember what the movie was called and I haven't gone back to look up what I it was I always know like the broad strokes like I don't yeah. know specifics but I, I didn't know enough specifics to know when this fell but like when this movie would have been in production and released in 1985 like it would have been in kind of like full swing yeah. so like it could be said that it's about that like do you see that here a little bit? I mean a little bit thinking of it like being of its time. Yeah. Um, and if I actually think about it being like part of that kind of day and age, um, you know, I think it, you have, you have to really kind of, I think force yourself to remember that, w that that's when it was made. Yeah. Um, otherwise it doesn't feel like super blatant. No, I, I don't think so. Cause the only thing I could kind of pick up on is that I think there's, it's almost exclusively male victims in this. Yeah. For the most part. He's like the two, his two major kills are both male characters. And then the only people that killed at the part of the end, I think are male. And then I guess technically the girls in the beginning were killed in the dream. But if like they, they were weren't even real. If they were, yeah, they weren't really killed. That, that was the part I was wondering too in the beginning. Cause I was like, okay, are the girls real or are they just like randomly part of his dream? Yeah. Like, I think they were, I think there was just the dreams. I yeah. don't think they actually die. I think the only people that actually die in this movie are males. Like there's that. And then the two major kills. So the coach and the friend, those both follow pretty like sexually involved scenes. Yeah. It's so, like, there's something to be said about the idea about there being some sort of like vaguely sexual encounter between two men. And then one of like someone dies as a result of it. And then the, the protagonist Jesse like has something inside of him that is killing people that he has no control over. Like that part of it kind of fit. And also, but, and, uh, this was during the time when like the whole like, um, the whole thinking about sex, having sex, tr like you you kind of you die in a horror film yeah. trope was like still in full swing. Oh yeah, like, I mean because it was the eighties horror movies that really like rammed that home. Yeah, it was still in that very like. So that's the other reason where it can kind of lean into being homophobic is that anytime he has a gay thought or does anything remotely like queer someone a male dies yeah exactly like, you know and he's kind of being like pushed towards his 
his lady friend. Because yeah, that's that's what I read more in this was not so much the the AIDS aspect of it, but the idea about the 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 closet homosexuality. Because that's not even subtext in here. Yeah, it's just there. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's just on screen. Well, it was funny reading the interviews because it was like it was clearly like the only like the act the lead actor who uh, I guess is actually gay. Is actually gay. Yeah, but in I, real life. But he like I guess no one else kind of. Everyone's like, oh, we didn't get the subtext. We didn't under, understand and stuff like that. I'm like, did y'all like just green light an idea? Like, yeah. Would, did, did no one see this? Like, Because yeah, I read a few articles trying to get a sense of what the intention here was. And it's like, no one seems to have ever really owned up to it in yeah. any sort of like meaningful way. Like the writer would always be like, no, nah, it wasn't me. Like it was the way the actor played it that made it seem super gay. And but like even when I thought about that when I was watching it, like I wouldn't say the actor's like overly flamboyant or anything. No. His scream is, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was even in the Attitude article that make reference to him screaming like Ned Flanders. <laughs> And it's spot on. I like, and I kind of forgot about that when I like rewatched it. And so in that first scene, when they're at the dinner table, there's just screaming happening upstairs. I'm like, oh my God, what girl died? I and know, right? It, it cuts to him and I'm like, oh shit, that was a scream. Oh, that's him. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, why does this always happen? I don't know. It's always a car alarm or a dog going on up, like off outside. And I talk about it on the podcast and then we're editing it. I listen back. I'm like it doesn't get picked up in the microphones. It's just me talking about something <laughs> that no one else knows about. It's me. It's just me. It's all happening inside my head. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like, it's very, it's just very, it's so gay. Yeah. It like someone had to know. So, yeah, someone, someone is not fessing up. Someone, absolutely. Someone had to know. And like, cause I, I tried to, I, I had like, I was scanning this things. Like I was sifting for gold, yeah. trying to find the gayest little things in there. And it's, all over like the, the place. Like the coach goes to an SM club before well, yeah. he gets murdered. Well, that's exactly <laughs> it. It's like, you know, at a certain point, it's it's subtextual until it's literally text, like on the text. And the two students, like, oh yeah, the our coach, Coach Schneider, is always going down to like these queer SM bars. And then we go to an actual gay bar and he's there in a full like daddy leather yeah. harness. And then, he, and then he dies by getting like towel spanked. Yeah, he gets in the stripped shower. naked in the shower and like yeah whipped to death basically like I, I, it's there like it's just there oh it it, abs <laughs> it absolutely is and like you especially you mentioned the the friendship between uh jesse and grady like that now i never dealt with this because i came out much later so like i never had that sort of thing in high school that idea of like you suspect someone else might be gay and you're trying to like figure out if it's there or not mm. but that's their relationship seems like that what it's what it was like they had an interest in each other they thought maybe there's a possibility and they're like just the way they're always like very kind of aggressive like grady will like make fun of him in at p and like be a total dick and then later be like hey like do you want to go like see a movie yeah, sometime it, like it's really it's really off-putting at first too because i was like Wait, I because like I had forgotten sort of about that friendship when I watched it, uh, and I was like, "Is he his bully or like his friend?" Because I'm kind of confused. And then like halfway through, I'm like, oh, it's like, oh <laughs> yeah, okay. They're, I'm they're, like, I get what this friendship is. They're, they're dancing around something here. And I, I mean, I've also you know in high school and stuff, I've had those kinds of friendships with like even straight males, where it's like they. N either know I'm gay or was it like either before they knew I was gay and stuff like that, but they tend to be a lot friendlier. Let's just say. Yeah. Like than... th th there's this weird, like friction yeah. that's going on. Right. Or it's just like, they are weirdly nice sometimes. then weirdly mean sometimes. And it's like, this has nothing to do with me. Clearly. Yeah. You're working through some shit. Yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely kind of this interesting, um, dynamic, especially if it's a, a straight guy or you know like you kind of have the same kind of bond as you would like a bro but there is this kind of i think being gay you have this feminine quality to you and it allows the friendship to be closer but then they go back and forth between like i can't be that close he's gay he's yeah, gay he's i'm gay. not gay yeah so like they've he's like gonna turn there's me. this constant like back and forth pull of like ah, no homo man and it's yeah. like well my life is all homo I don't yeah, know yeah it's about. like i mean there's it's <laughs> There's no no homo, <laughs> homo all the time. Yeah, ho homo day in twenty four seven. Yeah, because like the the two of them are always like 
he's always staring. They're always staring at each other. And like, they're like in the locker room talking about all the things their coaches shoved up his ass. And you're just like, this is so, <laughs> so erotically charged all the way through. And then, so I mean, there's like the more blatant stuff like that. But then for me, the gay, one of the gayest scenes in the entire thing is the unpacking scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, cause he put, I had to look up the song. He puts on uh touch me by wish. Yeah. <laughs> Never, I don't even know what that song is, but it's gay. <laughs> well, and, and then like when his friend dies, I was kind of noticing the posters he had in his room mm-hmm. of all these like, ma- like very flamboyant male David Bowie-esque superstars. Oh, yeah. Like, and like, you know, I'm not, I know there was like kind of that flamboyancy in the 80s, but I mean... Come on. <laughs> I, I was doing the same thing. I was looking at all of the set decoration, trying to find little nods. I found a lot. Yeah. And I wrote them all down. <laughs> so see, I told you you would enjoy this. It is I, a treasure trove. I absolutely loved it. Like, I started to watch it last night by myself. I went to bed and was like, am I going to get a little freaked out? Like, I just don't watch a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Like sometimes they stick no. with me. I made it 20 minutes in like, oh, I don't have to worry about this. I, <laughs> no, not This at will all. not keep me up at night. But it might uh, keep you up at night for the wrong reason. The wrong, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like, oh, those 80s buds. Tan, glistening 80s buds. There's, there is so much shirtless, sweaty thrashing it's in this fantastic. movie. Pretty much every scene with Jesse, he's either not wearing a shirt or he's wearing a buttoned-up shirt that is just unbuttoned. And he is drenched. Yeah. Like, he always, always covered in sweat. Yeah. Like, always, like, partially naked. Honestly, yeah. and having seen the other movies, this has more nudity than most of the other yeah. f- uh, well, Nightmare on Elm Streets. Well, because, I mean, I would say that especially... And male nudity. For male, yeah, especially male nudity. Female nudity is a huge trope, basically, at this point, of horror films. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we're already going to be radar anyways for violence. Let's like throw some tits in there, too, because then the teenage boys will love it. And there's no female nudity at all in this. There's really no... Not really much sexualizing of women at all. And... And I, if I remember right from the majority of I've seen, there's not, I don't seem to remember a huge amount of sexualization at all through just the Elm Street series. Okay. Um, I, you know, with the first one, you get that great sort of scene in the bathtub. That's kind right. of infamous, but, um, but like, and but I, she's not like walking like before that. She's not never like walking around with just like tits hanging out. Like I'm gonna go take a bath. Yeah, with like, with those crazy, very perky, gravity defying '80s tits. Yeah, yeah. That's like the, it, like it was definitely not the way Friday the Thirteenth depicts. Right, their female character. Yeah, I, I watched uh, Halloween for the first time last Halloween, the original, and that's yeah. the the remake too. And I, I seem to recall there being like a little bit of nudity in. The original one. In the beginning. In the it's beginning. In the very beginning. A yeah. little bit, yeah. But I mean, that movie very much, too. It's like anyone who She's like, like has combing sex. her hair and there's like some, there's like a boob out of her robe. Yeah, exactly. It's like peeking through. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the set hacker came in like had a, had a very like strategic, like just shift the robe a little bit over. Just get a hint of areola. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and like Jamie Lee Curtis was like, there was references to sex in there a lot. And, but, it's, but it's everyone who is sexually active that gets killed yeah. and then jamie lee curtis being like the virginal chast yeah. pure girl that like nothing happens to you. like that's that's present all the time it's really rare when you get uh, like male characters heavily sexualized and there's so much bare male ass in this yeah. movie and like, it's a, and what's interesting is that like i was trying to like think about you know the vast amount of horror movies i've seen and this is one of the only in few like male screen queens yeah i guess that was kind of a big deal when this movie came out because i mean the the trope is the final girl yeah and so to have it be a male character was like this really weird departure yeah and even then they don't fully commit to it because by the end of the movie like he's been transformed into freddy so then it's still the final girl with the power of love i guess i don't know that really (laughs) didn't make any sense to me either (laughs) i know i didn't understand like did her making out with freddy like help i it it was really bizarre because like she she stabs him and then she can't and then every time she says I love you, like then he starts bleeding. So but, I guess it's her love that kills Freddy. But then again, you get into like that can get into the homophobic thing. It was like oh he just needed to like kiss a girl. Yeah. 
to well, not be Freddy. Well, see, I, I, that's why I think that this movie, I, 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 look, the writer says it's not, but like it's clearly in there. Like I think that's the whole subtext is, right? Because like every time he gets into a sexual situation with a guy, somebody dies. Then there's that scene, that amazing scene where he's about ready to hook up with Lisa, his girlfriend. He freaks out, goes straight Freak? to the guy's place, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, there's something inside me. I need to be with a man and right his now. His friend literally is like, do you want to sleep with me? And it's just like... Yeah, it's, it's right there. And then eventually, like, he becomes a full-on monster. He keeps killing the men that he has, like, a sexual situation with. And then at the end, it's a woman's love that saves him. But even in the movie, at the end of it, it's like, oh, Freddy's still around. Yeah. So I guess, it, like, that's the whole so story. It's it like, doesn't you, work. It doesn't work. It's <laughs> you like, can't yeah, bring you, the gay away. You, you can't, can't exactly. bring the Freddy away. <laughs> yeah. You can't straight the gay away because yeah. it's still going to be there. It's, it's so... It's so ridiculously it's, weird. It's still one of my favorite Nightmare on Elm Streets, even though it makes no sense com- with the rest of the the movies and stuff like that. It's oh, just like it's, I, it stands out so vividly in my mind because I just remember so many sweaty, glistening '80s male bodies from it. That's the. It's just that's the vast and majority I, of the and film. Honestly, I will say I I'd have to revisit some of the later ones, but between one and two, like I always remember like Nightmare on Elm Street being very like I dare say gay friendly and like. Yeah, because when I think of one, I don't think of like the female lead being naked and stuff. I think of Johnny Depp, like young Johnny Depp in that crop top. <laughs> and oh, like yeah. 90 percent of the time. So it's like anytime I think of like Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I'm like, wow, they actually did a lot of male like semi nudity and nudity in those movies more so than like other ones. Yeah. And, and I guess if you look at it, this perspective that literally the main characters internal like internalized homosexuality is a, a monster and a villain like that's not a good way to go but the end of it the whole idea is that it's inescapable yeah like it's not like the end of the movie is it all gets resolved because she loves him it's like oh no it's still happening and yeah i, I guess that's probably us just reading into that because i think for them they just didn't know how to end the movie so like uh let's well and obviously when they're doing two in this day and age they want to do three four or five yeah exactly six, it's like he's still got to exist in some capacity it's yeah. like what like they're on the bus and then like his hand pops out of her chest yep and it's like all right and they, they drive off into the the, the desert the deserts of <laughs> this is like, so like Indiana or something like that. Help New Mexico. I don't know. I don't know where this Elm Street is supposed to be. It's just so so bizarre. But like I so because I was looking for the the other little nods. It's like some of the set decorating I picked up uh, when he's going through his closet. This might be a bit of a stretch, but there's a game called Probe. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing worth noting. None of this shit happens on accident. No, and that's the thing I always think is like. I, I fucking hate that because I always remember in film school being taught about mise-en-scene and how everything yeah. in the frame is deliberate. And nothing is accidental. And so when someone like when they make a movie like this, they're like, I didn't know it was there. I'm like, was someone looking in the camera? Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't like. Yeah. D- were you just are you blind making the movie? Right. And you're like dir- directing through someone else. Like, yeah. I don't understand how none of this was noticed. Did no and one thought 20, about this? We're in 20, we're almost 2020 at 2020. It's okay. Like fess up to it. Just, like, just be fine. You're like, look, it's all there. Like they find the diary that reveals the truth about yeah. Freddy Krueger in the fucking closet. Yeah. The truth is in the closet <laughs> for God's sakes. Along with a game called probe, um, his door has a sign on it that says no out of town chicks on it. But the out of town part is kind of like, it's smaller type in the middle. So it's basically a sign that at a glance just says no chicks. <laughs> Again, none of this is accidental. Um, he's reading Jack Kerouac's on the road, which I've never which read, super gay. but super gay. Right. I mean, like it's, it's all there. <laughs> And then again, I love the sequence when he's doing the unpacking because he puts on those like crazy gold because like flame in, glasses. In a huge in a huge central part of uh, On the Road is um, I forget the lead's name. The lead who's like represents Jack Kerouac yeah. is his sort of straight gay friendship with his his com- his companion yeah. on the journey, and they have sort of a very similar friendship that the lead and his friend having this yeah. other than, you know, Freddie terrorizing the both of them. But exactly. Like, it's that kind of very similar friendship that goes on in that book. So yeah, I'm sorry. That's not an accident Yeah, <laughs> that he's reading on the road 
in this movie. I mean, you know, maybe the writer didn't like fully think through it. And they were just like, I'm going to, you know, pull, uh, get my inspiration for Freddy 2 that I've been hired to write from Jack Kerouac's On, on the, the road. road. It'll be a thoughtful one and not yeah. even think about it. Because but the thing is, I know people who've read On the Road and don't get the gay subtext to it. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe it was that. But, but I feel like everyone always talks about the writer and then the the actor. But at the end of the day, like the writer probably didn't include the inclusion of Jack Kerouac. That would have been the director's choice, yeah. right? Or like, or maybe the the set decorator was super gay and was like, "I'm gonna put stuff in here everywhere." Like, because there's that scene where he has the the nightmare. He has many nightmares, but he wakes up and everything's melting in his room. And so it's like, he's got like candles, whatever yeah. next to his bed that are melting into this like super phallic looking. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, and like, it's like, it's like, it's like white melted plastic all over the place. And you're like, this is just, this, this whole room is covered in spunk. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like if it like, if they weren't aware of, aware of it, like some straight person would be like, can we get a pair of tits in this movie? Yeah. That's the thing. Because like, it's the 80s. I swear I feel like in Hollywood that would happen. Yeah, this is the era of like Animal House and Porky's and like really aggressive sexualization of women. And the fact that it's not in here at all means that no one ever bothered to stop yeah. it and include it. So I, I, everyone must have been on board on some level. And the right? fact that they have the coach go to like an S&M club, that's a deliberate choice. Oh, it absolutely is. Like you could have made him go anywhere. Like... Yeah, but he actually goes in S and M club. He's wearing the, like the vest. I I did like in that sequence that again it holds up the dream logic element. Yeah, the fact that the kid would walk into a bar and order a drink and no one questions him, and that they would go straight from that bar to then the gym where he's running laps. Like in a dream, that sort of logic follows yeah. through. In reality, it wouldn't. And then of course, like the the coach gets. But also the fact that he's dreaming about where the coach is going. Yes, exactly. As well, like I'm like. We have a wet dream going on. Oh. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, the coach is definitely not attractive, but no. But I mean, again, it's the eighties. Yeah, options were limited. You know, we nope. all have that coach fantasy. Yeah, no. And I don't. I'm trying to think if I ever had a coach that I ever would have found hot enough to have that fantasy for. I never had coaches. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> You never, I, you never I was played never, sports ball or a sports. No, things. my mom tried me to go to like soccer practice when I was a kid, and I made it to the first lesson. And I'm like, this is dumb. I don't want to do this. I mean, you don't have to have had a hot coach, but I mean, oh, yeah. is the coach fantasy there? I don't think I've ever really had a coach fantasy. Hmm. No, huh? Yeah, unless it's of course having sex in the back of a gilded coach, then a horse-drawn <laughs> coach. Then yes, I've had that. Before. Well, that sounds very gay. Exactly. Does it, does it though? Yeah. Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> if it works, it works. <laughs> but yeah, so like what? Okay. For you, what are some of the standout, like super, super gay moments? So obviously the way the coach dies. Yes. For sure. Is like the big sort of red flag. Uh, stripped naked, tied up in a shower and yeah. flayed to death. Yeah. Yeah. By a towel. Yes. Nonetheless. Yeah. Like he's being spanked to death before he gets like slashed. Like, I, d I don't know. How are you going to walk around that would be like, this isn't gay at all. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there are a thousand other ways you could have made him die. I feel like you would walk out on the set and like, is this, am I in the right movie? Is this yeah. a gay porn shoot? <laughs> nope. Oh, okay. I bought a ticket for Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. I didn't think I just walked into the Studs Theater. <laughs> um, definitely, basically the entire sequence where he like runs into his friend's bedroom. Oh, his friend's room? Yeah. Just because I remember thinking his friend was like so hot. <laughs> that entire so sequence. Hot. I'm just oh, like, gosh. I'm like, this is fine. He can stay there. Um, and then... That whole little exchange between him and Freddie really early on. Oh, oh yeah. Um, where like Freddie's like, I have the mind and you have the body. Here we go. I need you, Jesse. <laughs> You've got the body. I've got the brain. Yeah. Which I feel like if you substitute the word brain for wallet, that is every daddy in West Hollywood talking to some twink. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because like I, I wrote down uh, some of the quotes that I thought were particularly <laughs> gay. Um, oh, right. So when 
uh, the very early on in the movie, when Grady is still being like really antagonistic towards Jesse, they're they're at PE, they're playing a baseball game, and uh, they're like harassing each other, and they get into a fight, and then Grady tears open Jesse's pants, like like bare ass. Yeah. <laughs> My first thought was, did everyone actually wear a jockstrap during PE in the eighties? I mean, I have heard that everyone had to like change yeah like i mean yeah like when i was in high school we you know whenever your pe class was you changed and then you went to pe and like only after swim did anyone ever shower yeah like it was never showering was optional like they're like you can shower if you really want but you don't have to yeah because like it wasn't like pe was really that hard yeah so but my first thought was because like i I mean especially for now like especially in gay culture it's like jock straps are basically just sexualized things like you know like like even if you're wearing a jock strap to the gym, you're wearing it because it's sexy. Yeah. Not because you actually like need to wear a jock strap to the gym. No. So my thought was easy access. That's <laughs> exactly it. Exactly it. Take away at least one barrier. Uh, so my thought was, was everyone actually wearing a jock strap, or was that a specific choice they made to make it that much more sexualized? I mean, I think in the '80s, that was always specifically chosen to make things seem more sexualized okay because i don't i don't know i seem to remember not maybe not titles off the top of my head but i seem to remember a lot of jock strapping in the 80s and the 90s that's at true least references to jock straps yeah everyone did it then now everyone's like i don't i don't give a shit yeah because so they they get into a, like a, a fight and the coach shows up and the, what he like how he breaks up the fight is he just grabs the two of them and just says assume the position <laughs> and apparently the position is them they're not actually doing push-ups, right? I they're, think they're, they're planking. They, they, look yeah. like, they look like they're doing planks. Yeah, I think they basically have to like hold a push-up position, like the up position, and just like stay that way. Because I was watching that, I'm like, they're not pushing up. They're not actually they doing. Planking? Yeah, they're not actually doing push-ups. Yeah, Was like, planking a thing yet? I I don't know. Maybe not like a viral thing. But. This movie invented planking. Oh yeah. <laughs> the unsuspecting legacy of Nightmare on Elm Street too. <laughs> the gift of planking for the world. But yeah, so he tells him assume the position. Um, what else I have here? Lots of shirtless, sweaty thrashing, of course. Um, oh yeah, he's. I think it's when he says to the friend when he's in the friend's room, uh, he's inside me and he wants to take me again. Yeah. <laughs> Actual quote. But but it's not even just like the super sexualized stuff. I even found some of the conversations like around with the parents and what he's going through felt reminiscent of talking around sexuality, sexuality. As, a, as a stress, right? So his dad thinks he's on drugs. His mom thinks he's just going crazy. And, you know, she says stuff like, um, like he, uh, he needs help. We don't know how to give it to him. Yeah. And, like, that to me rang authentic for, like, that experience. And obviously I've never been a parent of a queer child, but I have been the child, <laughs> queer child with parents. And, like, you know, I've subsequently, like, talked to my folks about my coming out experience and you know, they've expressed how frustrating it was for them after they learned that I was gay, not knowing what I was going through, like knowing that I'd been like stressed out and struggling with something for so long and they had no idea. And then maybe they knew that I was dealing with something. They didn't know what it was Yeah, necessarily. It's like that specific idea really rang true with me. Yeah. Cause especially in adolescence, it could be a number of it, yeah. a thousand things. It, it could be anything and yeah. you just don't know. And then, you know, even the way Jesse talks about himself, he, you know, he says it's a problem. I have to work on my own. There's nothing to figure out. Like those sound like someone trying to deal with their sexuality and not wanted to state it for what it is. Yeah. Cause you have to talk around it. Cause if you say what it is, it makes it true. Yeah. This whole movie is just, I told you it's, no, it's, it's super, it's super, super gay. Um, I, I think for me though, okay. So like of all that stuff though, what is for you the single gayest moment in the whole thing? I mean, gayest moment that I liked, or that was like the signal that this is like super gay. Either or what, what moment do you go fuck this movie? Super gay. Honestly, it's the coach thing just sticks in my mind. That's a good call. I, you know, I've, one of the things I've always admired about this horror series or a horror franchise is they are, they do some great things with special effects in a lot of them and Freddy, Freddy has some very creative kills. Yeah. Very, There's some good effects in this too, some really yeah. good practical effects. And so like there are he does some weird shit to people 
to kill them mm-hmm. and because it's he you know gets them in their dreams yeah but then the coach sticks out because it's like it's like not even it's not even like something that is like scary like he's no it's not, not it's not scary it doesn't play off of fear yeah it's not really even creative it's just super sexual yeah it's like super sexual and like he slashes him at the end but he doesn't do anything other than that and so no. it always sticks out because i'm like i've seen Freddie kills so many people in so many weird and strange ways, like Johnny Depp sinking into his like bed. Oh yeah, with the like spurt of blood, and then it's like the coach comes along, who's this kind of antagonistic character, and you'd think he'd like they'd really let him have it, but he's like, oh, and it's supposed to be the lead character doing it. So I'm like, so he being possessed by Freddie strapped his coach out, smacked him with a towel. Well, first he like threw a bunch of balls in his face. Yeah, like before killing him. I'm yeah. like, mm. <laughs> yeah, because it it doesn't like that's one of the best things about horror films. You can get really creative in terms of how you go in and do these sort of kills. Yeah, and it's not like because there are weird like horror things that happen like at the end when she goes to the abandoned mill there's that weird rat and that weird cat yeah there's like the there's like a a rat that has like big crazy teeth that's killed by a cat that has big crazy teeth there's a couple of like dobermans and baby masks yeah and you're like what the fuck is this even where did this come from like that's weird and out there and like creepy and unsettling and that's like that's more akin to what most of the series is like that ultimately makes a lot more sense yeah Yeah. because even when he like kills the friend like the friends trapped in the bedroom and can't escape. And you know, like, you know, the, the dad's banging the door, trying to get the door open. And you know, the friends just literally stabbed. And I guess the, the part of it that works well is like the, the finger knives go through the door and like scrape down the other side of the wall. Yeah. Like that's an effective way of conveying the gruesomeness without actually showing it. But like, it's not like it's a particularly clever way to kill somebody. No. And you know, it's in, I think it's interesting that like, the friend that he kind of has an attraction to gets killed in such a mundane way. Yeah. And in the entire movie, like I feel like every kill in this movie for the most part, except for the coach is fairly mundane. He doesn't like, really even commit to trying to kill people. He's yeah. mostly just like smashing but plates and the, like throwing patio furniture. But the coach, he goes and like, he slashes at some people and kills them. But like the coach, he goes out of his way to throw balls at, to spank with a towel yeah. and then trap him in, tie him up in a shower. Yeah. He's the only character in this entire movie that gets like an exclusive kill treatment. Yeah. Like there are really only like three murder set pieces. Yeah. It's like the bus at the beginning, which is a, a just straight up a dream. Yeah. And then the coach and then the friend and like none of them really stand out as being particularly like creative. Yeah. Or interesting. But like the coach just like it sticks out because it's so different than any, every other kill in the movie. No, it really does. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good that's a very good like super gay moment. Yeah. Uh, mine is when a parakeet bursts into flames. Because <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's just super gay. <laughs> I don't know why that's in there, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> As being a there thing. are like some random ass things that happen in this movie. Like, yes, like the toaster just randomly setting on fire. Yeah. And the dad's like, oh, that's so weird. It wasn't even plugged in. None of it's scary. It's just like, oh, the toaster just burst into flames. Yeah. My room just like melted on me. And I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, that could also be attuned as gay as like things just bursting into flames. Like parakeets. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, even at the end when he's like attack like attacking the party, it's just like the the water starts to boil, but like no one actually like dies inside. No one gets boiled alive. They're like, no oh, gets, it's warm. Yeah, it's oh it's oh it's like a hot tub. Like no one gets boiled alive. Like I think two people get slashed, but one guy gets sort of electrocuted on a fence. Oh yeah, like it zaps him because he tries to escape, but like nothing happens. Yeah. Like, you it's like it's like setting up a kill box, and then he doesn't actually like really kill anyone. He mostly just like pushes people aside and like smashes furniture. Yeah. Uh, like I, it was, I forget what scene it was, but there's a, Oh no. When he's chasing the girl, there is, and maybe it's just edited really poorly, but there's a scene where like it cuts to him chasing his girlfriend and he's standing by the China thing. And there, you could tell there's a moment that he's waiting for either action or the girl look. And then he just goes Whoa! and slides off all the China and that's it. 
I think like, I think this is yet another example of being super gay of him going, this is tacky, and just smashing, <laughs> smashing the plates, I, breaking the furniture. And I will say that that was one thing too, is like there there is kind of a um a trope of Freddy being very like perverse in the series. Yeah. Uh, especially towards women. Like, you know, he does weird tongue shit all the time. Mm-hmm. But like this is one of the first movies where he felt very flamboyant compared to like how he yeah, is in other movies. He really did. Like even even like his first interaction with the lead character and the whole like I have the mind you have the body scene is very like and then like when he's just running around just flipping tables and knocking over like it feels like a very much a gay having a shit fit yeah like, that's exactly what it is he's not gonna punch anyone he's not gonna hurt anyone he's just gonna throw shit at the wall and wipe off tables and and then he's gonna come back five minutes later like oh, i'm sorry i'm gonna put this back yeah this is, I, I made such a mess oh my god forgive me so this is what happens when i have gluten <laughs> <laughs> but it's like because I, I I was trying to do like a little bit of research on like who who's responsible for this gayness and I guess uh, originally in that sequence when they first meet and Freddy's like grabbing the guy's face with the knives originally he was supposed to actually put his like bladed fingers into the guy's throat yeah and someone told the actor like don't let that happen because like you will be stuck with that forever and like the the actually kind of tragedy of all of this is that he basically because he he had done another. He had done a movie, I think it's maybe starring as um, James Dean, or he was in a movie involving James Dean. I didn't really look into it super yeah. much, but like that movie obviously dealt with like some homosexual themes. It's a very, I haven't seen it. It's a very big, prominent gay film. Yeah. So like, like between that and this, and like the fact that he was actually gay, and it, it, he was, I guess, closeted at the time the movie was made, but there's like, it's unclear now, so many years on, who was aware of that. Like some things you read say the director didn't know, others say that he did. Sometimes the writer did, sometimes the writer didn't. But it's like, because of this movie, and I think especially a lot of the the other creatives really trying to put the blame on the actor, he basically didn't have a career after this. Yeah. Like, he stopped doing movies, and he went into interior design. I mean, if you were trying to tell the world you weren't gay, you made the wrong choice. Yeah. But I, I honestly feel Acting bad for him. to interior design. Yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> right to it. Yeah, I feel bad for him, because this this really got him typecast and kind of ruined him. And I, and I think, I don't know... I didn't get the story about at what point he came out, but the impression seems to be like this movie had a lot to do with that, especially at a time when actors are being told you can't be gay. Yeah. I think it's probably still a thing now. Well, and especially so, in the AIDS cri- crisis, you know, a lot of times it's people didn't kind of separate the two. They just kind of, yeah. I mean, it was called you know, gay if, cancer. Yeah. Like, if you were, if you were gay, it was just kind of like, it wasn't even a fact of like, did you have it or not? You were just kind of like, well, if you don't have it now, you will, you, you will, you will yeah. like, it was just end up, you know, basically like walking around like a ticking time bomb. And, yeah. You know, some so days I, you just can't get rid of a bomb. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I, I, I heard that maybe there's a documentary coming out like about. Yeah. This. I'm, I'm excited to see it. No, I am too. Yeah. yeah We're like going to do a follow up episode on that documentary. On that documentary. Really get into it. Um, Cause in it, it's one of those things that I've, and especially like being a horror fan, I've been trying to delve more into is finding, um, more queer-based horror films. Yeah. And especially, like, ones that are, like, not kind of weird indie projects, but ones that are actually actively mainstream. Yeah, a little more. And it's been... it's I, I haven't found... A, there's not a ton. No. I mean, you can find, obviously, certain tropes in a lot of things. Like, you know, there are a lot of movies that have lesbian characters because it's, you know, 80s or 90s and yeah. sexy. Um, have the girls make out. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and there's always like, especially in the eighties, there's always the character that gets called faggot over and over again and oh, like, yeah. pushed around. So, because they're like kind of flamboyant, but this is one that just particularly stands out because it just deals with gay themes and yeah, has a gay lead and, you know, both an actor and, you know, whether you want to interpret it or not as the character of the movie. And, and what I will say is that it, it doesn't feel exploitative of its gayness no like even that that death in the shower like that could have been done in a much more blatantly homoerotically sexual way like it it could have been basically someone being killed for like being killed in a manner that exploited their sexuality and like it it didn't feel that way at all it wasn't like it wasn't a a gay sexual act that was made violent um, I'm looking at you, Ryan Murphy. Well, and, and also like so, no, and knowing other like, 
Elm Street films, like I feel like the kind of classic exploitative way to do that is Freddy would have done. I feel like that's the way if it was exploitative, I feel like it would have been the way his friend died and not the coach. Like I feel like, I feel like Freddy would have shown up in his friend's dream as the coach and taken advantage of his friend. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of times that's kind of what happened is uh, in other movies, Freddy will take the kind of personification of like someone you're the character's afraid of and exploit that fear in their dream. Mm-hmm. And you'll find, and like, you'll see, they obviously show at some point that it's Freddy because they have the the glove on. But um, I feel like that would have been a much more exploitative way to kind of go about doing that and have it not be the coach yeah. in whoever's dream doing that scene. But having the coach die that way. Yeah, it's, it's Especially because like, no one's, it's, no one's doing it. Whatever, it's invisible. Yeah, it's it's not like those are sexually suggestive scenes that are paired with kills, but it's not like a character is actually actively fulfilling a sexual desire within the male character, and then as a result of that, and death happens. Yeah, it's it's because it's a little bit more oblique. I think it it softens it a little bit so that it it doesn't ever feel like it's actually being super judgmental of gayness yeah. as much as it's more acknowledging the existence of not being self-accepting. And again, it's it's so strange that like so many creative people behind it like step back and like, oh no, because like it's, there are so many deliberate and like delicate choices like that. And mm-hmm. I feel like if it was being done, if like someone read it and it was being done in a like intentional or non-intentional way, like I feel like they would have gone all out like that and gone the most exploitative route because it's like eighties horror. Like yeah. they're all about exploiting things and stuff like that. And, well, and, and for a genre that loves to punish sex, yeah, this movie weirdly, it doesn't go as far into that space as it could have. Yeah. Like it kind of goes into like it, punish, it seems like it punishes attraction more than it punishes yeah. sex. Yeah. It's like, I mean, cause I, I don't know. Like I, I, We'll never know, but I would have been very curious to have seen this as like a teenager. Yeah. When I was going through all this stuff and seeing what I would have picked up on, how it would have made me feel. Like I think it's much easier now being both an adult who's out and comfortable with himself watching it, being able to be like, Oh, this is like weird and funny in camp, and I can find positivity in it. Yeah. But if you're a closeted teenager watching it, it might have a very different effect. I mean, I just remember it for the boys. That's fair. Yeah. And then I rewatched it and I was like, oh, there's all this other stuff that I didn't notice because I was so distracted. <laughs> <laughs> You're like fasting forth, like the scene where he's making out the girl, like, I don't care. I don't, like, care, I don't care. I don't care. Oh, there he is. Shirtless. Hello. There we go. There's his friend again. Friend is very hot. <laughs> so hot. Okay. So, I mean, the, the mission here is, of course, for me to get more exposure to like gay culture. And I also am not a big horror person. And so you kind of helped introduce me to some like horror stuff a little bit. Took me to the amazing Halloween star up in Burbank, which oh, yeah. I lost my shit. It's fucking incredible. Halloween here. town. Halloween town in, Go, in Burbank. If you live in California. It's incredible. And, and of course, we are uh, putting this episode you. out right before Halloween. So from your perspective, what are some uh, like are, are there other good gay Halloween movies. You said you've been trying to find some. So have you found any? I mean, well, every every gay loves Hocus Pocus. That's just... Oh, well... <laughs> yeah. That um, almost doesn't even count. Like, that's just its own genre right there. Uh, you know what is I would be interesting to talk about and to have a discussion about is I recently rewatched Seed of Chucky. Oh, interesting. And there is an interesting dynamic there with watching Chucky and Bride of Chucky talk about how to raise their child because they can't decide if he's a boy or a girl because he's born as a doll and not a human. So he has no genitalia. Yeah. Whereas like they're both male and female souls put into their uh, same gender dolls. Yeah. So they go through this whole thing of like, and they're never, like, mean to him about it. Yeah. Like, they try raising him as a boy, and it doesn't kind of work. They try raising him as a girl, and it also doesn't work. And so at the very end, they just kind of let him be him. And, like, it, I can't tell if it's offensive the way they're going about it or if it's actually, like, really progressive for being, like, 2000 and, I want to say, 8. That sounds about right, yeah. And I thought it was, I'm like, I was watching, I'm like, this is very queer, like... 
for what it is. I was very like shocked and surprised by that. So there's one. Okay. Um, I would be curious to visit that. I've also never seen any child's play movie, so I would love to jump in uh, at two is fantastic. Two is my favorite. Okay. I mean, one is a classic, but like two is by far my favorite. Um, Other queer. I, well, I'd say, honestly, I'd say scream has a, has a good amount of, Okay. They yeah. Do, I, I like it's not outwardly, but like even. But the, like the the relationship between um, the, two, the uh, Matthew Lillard and Ski Ulrich, Billy. I remember his 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 regular name. Okay. Or his character's name, Billy. I don't know the actor's but name. Yeah, like Matthew Lillard and Billy have yeah, this weird. Their relationship is is coded a little bit. Yeah. Queer. So there's some there are some queer references in those. I personally would love to see more queer horror movies yeah um it's slowly happening yeah um i have to go back and rewatch it again but i think the babysitter was a little bit uh had some good queer things going on in it mm-hmm. too um and that's actually a good point we might end up seeing a lot of that through netflix yeah like because they don't have to worry about pay like is this going to do well internationally? Right. You know, the streaming platforms have given an opportunity for that sort of stuff where it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because they, they know how to get the movie in front of the people that would want to watch it anyways. Yeah. And then hopefully maybe other people will discover it by happenstance, by recommendation or whatever. And so, like, that's great. So, like, the hope is that maybe we'll get more queer horror popping up. I, ho- I hope via so. that. And definitely. I, I know Outfest has, like, a whole segment. Yeah, yeah, they always have Which that I every year. I need to year. go to one year and yeah. check it out. But yeah, and I like I know the Babadook is like a queer icon, but I think that's like by accident, <laughs> that's right? By, that, I think that's incredibly by accident. Because wasn't it that they they had Netflix accidentally had a description of a gay film or like or no like they accidentally classified the Babadook as an LGBT film or something like that? Did they? I, I have sure, no idea how that happened. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Like either they accidentally classified it as an LGBT film or they accidentally put the description of a an actual gay film over the Babadook page. Uh-huh. And so like there was this weird moment where somehow the two things got conflated and then the gays being the gays just ran with it. And now it's like this weird game. I haven't seen the bad, but I got to go watch it at some do you, point. Do you know they, they now sell it with a rainbow flag cover? Fuck, I love for it. For the DVD. I, <laughs> I, I love it. I love, I love it even more if that happened by accident. But either way, I love that. Oh, no. They, that, one, that one was on purpose. That was they caved and they're like, you know what? We're just going to roll, oh, roll yeah. with this. Yeah, like, this is absolutely going to go with that. All right. Well, maybe we'll do an episode of the Babadook and we'll, go, we'll have to ask the question, is this actually gay? Because it wasn't even worth asking on this yeah. one. Because the answer is just yes. And I haven't even seen like an analysis of it, of like how it might be like a there might be some out there but of how it might be a gay horror film yeah this one you don't need a phd to figure it out you just watch it and go it's super gay (laughs) and uh i have to ask what do you what what are your do you have gay halloween plans uh i don't really this year i love halloween i really love halloween and i always try and go pretty big every year like i'll put a lot of time and effort into doing a really great costume my work schedule is so insane right now that I it's just not really been feasible for me to put anything together. So, so no West Hollywood Boulevard? No, madness. No, I mean, it, it, with my work schedule, it's hard for me to go do stuff like that on a weeknight. So I probably also, I can't do it. that anymore. No, it's, it's too. That it, was like I liked it when I was in my 20s because it was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like now I'm just like, there's too many people. All these bars I can go to any other day of the week and it'll be a regular price drink and I don't have to wait an hour in line. Yeah. Like it's it's not worth it. I mean, do you have any gay Halloween plans? Um, I might be going to see Jesus Christ Superstar at the Pantages. <laughs> well, seeing the original zombie. Congratulations, you have found a way to make Halloween that much gayer. <laughs> my my boyfriend has season tickets for the Pantages, and that's just the day they gave him for Jesus Christ Superstar. So Great. we're debating either doing that or maybe doing like not scary farm or something. But I feel like I spend so much time in October preparing for Halloween that when Halloween comes, I'm like, I'm tired. Yeah, I'm just going to sit at home and watch Hocus Pocus, yeah. which I'm sure you've already done multiple times. I actually have not watched it yet. I'm saving yeah. it for closer to Halloween. Yeah. I have a small list of films I'm saving for like the week of or the weekend before. Mm-hmm. And uh, ho- the Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O, Halloween Town, Halloween Town 2, and Hocus Pocus are the ones I'm kind of saving. Well, luckily, you can scratch Nightmare on Elm Street 2 off the list. You've already hit it this year. I have. 
but yeah, I would love to hear what other people's thoughts are on this movie. If you also find it extraordinarily gay or maybe if you found like a gay reading on it that we didn't. Uh, but yeah, so let us know. All of our social media will be in the uh, the little bumper at the end. Of course. Uh, but Jonathan, where can they find you if they want to talk to you? Um, my Twitter is at JJ Write Stuff. Writes as in like the thing you do when you use a pen. Yes, like and, you write stuff, not the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And my insta- Instagram is at jdubs22. Yeah, if you want to find me, I'm at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. So, well, thanks everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Everyone Halloween. have fun and munch butts. Yes. Because that's apparently all we do. <laughs> that's all we do. <laughs> thanks for listening to Gay at Four. The podcast is produced by Chris Lord and Jonathan James and edited by Chris Lord. Music by Chris Humans and Colin Diaz. Artwork by Cameron Dexter. Please subscribe and review on iTunes. Follow the podcast at Gay at Four on Instagram and YouTube and at Gay at Four Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Got an idea for an episode? Send us an email at gayatforwardpod at gmail.com. Thanks and stay fabulous.